This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 246, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler here with Mi'kmaq Matters correspondent Greg Janes. And Greg, another jam-packed program. We have an interview with the chief of the revived Port-a-Port Mi'kmaq band and an update on planning for a possible marine reserve on the south coast. Let's talk about Pierre Polyev. The federal conservative leader was in western Newfoundland last week campaigning with Carol Anstey, the candidate in Long Range Mountains. And Greg, um, he he made a couple of stops. I think he was at uh, the Rod and Gun Club in Deer Lake and at the Legion in Cornwall. That's right, Glenn. He was at the Rod and Gun Club uh, in Deer Lake and at Branch 13 here in Cornerbrook uh, for a fish fry, which we uh, hope he enjoyed. But uh, Glenn, if he was uh, spending this uh, precious time here in our territory, you must think there is a, a chance of taking the writing from Goody Hutchings and the Liberals. Of course, Carl Anstey would have uh, won if it were not for Daryl Shelley uh, running for the People's Party of Canada and uh, siphoning off the vote that uh, would have gave Carl Anstey uh, the win. Um and did you see, but, uh, I understand that Daryl Shelley was uh, around uh, last week. Was there sightings of him uh, when Pierre Pouliever was in town? Well, we uh, it was interesting because a, a, a Facebook picture popped up of uh, Daryl Shelley uh, shaking hands and, and being very cordial to uh, to Mr. Pouliev. So uh, it's, it's very interesting that so... Now, uh, Greg, um, it would be hard to, to vote for uh, for Goody Hutching. She has been no friend of Mi'kmaq people. Just when we needed her, she was nowhere to be found on the enrollment no, uh, file. But I find Pierre Pouliever kind of scary. And, of course, um, he was part of the, the Harper government. I think it'd be fair to call them kind of racist in their uh, dealings with Indigenous people. Um, so the thing with uh, Carol Anstey is she's part of the package. She's part of the Pierre Pouliever package. So it might be uh, people are going to have to do some uh, tough uh, thinking uh, when the next election rolls around. That's right, Glenn. Uh, there, there is a lot to think about here, not because uh, uh, Pierre Polyev has been seen as being a bit rogue or whatever. Not uh, uh, many people uh, may not like him, uh, but as for Carl Anstey now. Um, she's very, very uh, likable person. She's very engageable. And she comes with a background of uh, Indigenous people. Uh, she is part of the uh, Bright Clan. And she's a uh, rejected member as well. So she knows the file quite well. And my discussions with her and that, uh, has been that she will bring bring this to the table when she's elected. So uh, we have high hopes as, with her. Uh, but this writing has been liberal for a very long time. But that's due to change because of uh, Goody Yaching's, uh non-involvement on this file. 
Well, it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Maybe Goody's uh, days as MP for Long Range Mountains are are numbered. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, election campaign for sure. Now, Greg, um, to the Port of Port Peninsula, where there is a community Mi'kmaq band spring back to life. The Port of Port Mi'kmaq band is for people on the east side of the peninsula. Uh, in the Kippens area and up to Fox Island, uh, Island River, up the coast there. And I spoke to Chief Mary O'Quinn about the history of the band and what's coming up. And we are joined by Mary O'Quinn of the Porta Port Mi'kmaq Band. And uh, Mary, thanks for being on the program. I understand from your Facebook post, you talk about revival. So there has been a band, uh, a Porta Port Mi'kmaq Band, uh, but perhaps not as active as you want it to be. So tell us uh, a little bit about the history of the of the band. Port Port Indian Band uh, really became uh, in existence 50 years ago or more. It was affiliated with the Bay St. George Regional Indian Band Council. And then recently, the Federation of Newfoundland Indians came into play. So it's been on the go for quite some time. I think what happened to a number of community bands when Halibut came into its existence in 2011, some of the bands kind of shut down or became inactive. And um, uh, maybe that's what happened to uh, the port port band also. No, the port port band at that time uh, took on a new council. For the first couple of years, we were, you know, we were pretty active, I must say. And that continued executive-wise. We kept our incorporation in place and we kept our band afloat. You're in a, having a membership drive and you're getting uh, the band up and running. So what, uh, what about this moment made you uh, ramp up activity? Well, I think it's time for us to come together, actually. Uh, you know, we need to update our historical records, take account of our Mi'kmaq members in our communities. And I uh, unite unite as a community again mm. and make sure we've got new people moving into the area. So we want to make sure that they get an opportunity to be a part of the Port of Port Indian Band. Now, tell us about the communities that make up the band. So this is the um, eastern part of the uh, of the peninsula up the coast to uh, Fox Island River. So tell us uh, what communities would be in your in your area. Uh, we commence in Kippens at the entrance of Kippens, and it runs to port port west and east, Pindamal, Fox Island River, Felix Cove, Agwathuna, Boss Wallace. Runs us to the uh, end of Campbell's Creek. Mm. That is the end of our zone. And on the Halibut map, I guess you would have two, uh, you would have two wards in your area. So you would have uh, part of... Uh, Port of Port, Halibut Ward, and part of Stephenville Ward. We have our own ward council. Um, Jason Benoit is our ward council, mm-hmm. or our ward rep- representative, I should say. And Stephenville has one as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, Stephenville has combined with Stephenville Crossing. What do you think uh, the band will be doing? What activities uh, will you be doing? And do you think you'll be working uh, with your Halibut councillors or will you be doing your own thing, do you think? I see the band concentration on, concentrating on culture, culture activities. Uh, you know, so we're hoping like social, economic and educational topics mm-hmm. to work with. And and that's where I would like to see the band go. Hmm. And do you think there's a lot of, um, if you were to have 
to have cultural activities in your area? Do you think uh, you would get a lot of people uh, come out? Do you think there's a, a demand and interest in those things? I do. I do think. And uh, if there was going to be a cultural activity, it wouldn't be restricted just to, say, our membership. We could expand it out to other people who would be of interest, right? Now, tell us about um, who's eligible to be uh, to be in the band. Uh, you talked about the communities. And um, as with the community bands, it's for people with cards and people without, so status and non-status. And yes. how, would you, uh, how would you determine if someone... Uh, were eligible to uh, to be in the band? Well, first and foremost, I guess, they would have to reside within the boundaries of the band and be identified as a Port-a-Port board member of Halifu First Nation. If somebody applied um, and were rejected but have a parent or a brother or sister in our community, in our within our boundaries then I would say they would certainly be considered. And I guess we, and I guess, you know, in our communities, we know, we know the families. So if you know they're part of a family, you kind of know whether they're, you know, they have some uh, connection to, uh, to our Mi'kmaq communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's unfair that they, you know, not be accepted. But I think mm. I think it's important that they do. Do you think you'll be working with uh, Halibu? Will you be looking for support from Halibu uh, for your activities, or how do you how do you see things unfolding uh, on that front? I think it's important that we do uh, work with Halibu. I think it's important that like all the bands kind of like work together. You know, mm. we're one group, or we're we're one cultural group of people. So let's yes come together and share our ideas. Yeah. And how, how did, how could Halibu assist you? How, what could they do to help you get the band up and running and successful? I think Halibu uh, needs to support its, its bands as well. Uh, you know, be there for support with when we plan a cultural activity, maybe they've got suggestions of things we could, you know, do or promote. I'm sure there's lots of ways that it can be done. Now, while you mentioned there are people coming back, uh, so are you seeing uh, uh, families, uh, families with children, school-aged children coming back into the area? People have been picking up applications this week and saying, you know, they've just returned to the area. They live in, they're, they're from the Kippins area, port port area. They've moved back and purchased homes and whatever. Great. And yes, I'm seeing that. So we'll we'll hear the sound of children running around uh, more more than oh, past, hopefully. maybe. Hopefully, yes. Yes, and and let's teach them a little bit about this culture. Are your communities affected by the windmills? Because of course, the big issue on the port of port of port peninsula right now are the 164 turbines that might go up. Uh, and your communities are, uh, are are you affected by that also, or is that more to the uh, to the other side of the peninsula. I think it's more to the other side at this time. We haven't heard much, uh, you know, people against it. I mean, everybody seems to be more in favor yes. that I'm hearing. Yes. But I know it's happening in the Cape area and Lourdes area, mainland area, mainly. You're having a membership drive and people are uh, uh, have until March the 20th to, uh, to sign up. So tell us... Uh, Tell us how they can sign up and what's going to happen after March the 20th. Presently, we have applications that we're handing out. We've we promoted the fact that they're at my place of business that they can pick up. 
the application requirement is uh, available as well. So people will need to see and, and read if, if they're indeed, uh, you know, if the requirement pertains to them. There's you have your Facebook page, the uh, the Porta Port uh, Mi'kmaq band, so people can get information there. Yes. And so, and after after the membership period, are you thinking of having another meeting to um, to choose positions and that sort of thing? Yes, hopefully that's going to be on or about twenty sixth of March, because and, according to our constitution, we have to allow a certain amount of time. Right. So uh, we will do that. And Mary, what are your what are your plans? Are you going to be nominating yourself for chief, or what? What do you see for you? I won't be nominating myself. I'm going to just work where I, if I can be of help. I won't be running for chief this time. So we're looking for the for the new generation to step up and um, contribute to the port of port. That's what we're hoping for. Well, that's great, Mary. Thanks for all your work and um, good luck to everyone. And hopefully um, we'll have a new revived and very active Port-a-Port band. Absolutely. Uh, It's great to see another community band spring to life here, uh, Glenn, because uh, we know that uh, these community bands are boots on the ground. They, uh, they know their people, they know their needs. And, um, Whereas Halibu has felt in the past, these community bands really pick up the slack and uh, and know their people. So it, it is good to see these uh, new community bands come to life once again. And you can get more information about membership and the phone number for the uh, Porta Port Mi'kmaq Band on their Facebook page. And uh, speaking of community bands, there is a... Uh, Another uh, meeting of uh, a community band, the Indian Head First Nation Band, is having a meeting and election of the new council on March the 9th at 7 p.m. at the uh, DSB Fallow Building, uh, CNA Building in Stephenville. So that's on 7 p.m. on March 9th for the Indian Head First Nation Band. Now, Greg, um, before we go, uh, we want to check on something that we've talked about before, but is a developing developing story in your neck of the woods in the Burjo area. And we're talking about the fish farms, one, and two, the possibility of a marine conservation area and whether the two can fit together. And um, just on the fish farms, what's, uh, what's the latest on that? What have you been hearing? Yeah, Glenn, um... The uh, mayor just gave an update uh, last week on he's been into discussions with Maui. Now, Maui is not in the uh, on the south coast right now because it's Greek that has set up shop there. Uh, but do you want to know their interest in a marine conservation area? Um, it seems that Virgil is moving forward on both perspectives. They want both, uh, but uh Glenn, we are seeing science right now that doesn't support uh, a, um, a a fish farm, the fish farms, and and a marine conservation area. We can't have both. One is destroying the environment, and the, on the other hand, that you want to protect the environment. So this is a very very conflicted uh, issue, and uh, there will be more to follow in uh, in the upcoming uh, days and weeks. Mm. I found it interesting that after our last discussion, there were some comments on um, on Facebook uh, asking uh, 
What about the lobster fishing? If there was a marine conservation area, some people um, can't hunt when they uh, when they open a national park, that sort of thing. So people were asking about the lobster fishing. And uh, just on that issue, what we're told by Parks Canada is that a marine conservation area is divided into zones. And there is at least one fully protected zone and one ecologically sustainable use zone. So two kinds of uh, zones, full and uh, ecologically sustainable. And in general, according to Parks Canada, commercial fishing activity is not permitted in the fully protected zones, but is permitted in the ecologically sustainable use zones, with the exception of bottom trawling, which is not allowed anywhere in a marine conservation area. So, uh, and apparently the way this works is that before they they set the boundaries for what what is one zone and what is the other, they would be meeting with um, the province, the communities, DFO, and Indigenous groups, and they would work out, um, you know, where is the ecologically sustainable use zone? And maybe that would be, they would locate that in the lobster fishing area so that, um, you know, uh, people wouldn't uh, lose access to that uh, very lucrative uh, fishery in Bergio because a lot of a lot of money comes from uh, from lobster in, in Bergio. Um, but I found it interesting that people uh, people don't in regard to fish farms people don't ask about the lobster fishing because fish farms are also <laughs> bad for bad for lobster lobster fishing. But it seems that um, you know that issue doesn't come up come up as much in regard to fish farms. Yeah, Glenn, it's unfortunate that that issue does not come up as much now because we know in other uh, ecological reserves and everything that life goes on as per normal, and you are to allowed to uh, a living as 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 for centuries. Uh, you're allowed to uh, catch lobster and fish and everything, but uh, this. Uh, dragging there's there is no uh dragging along the south coast other than for scallops now and we know that when these fish farms go in that the scallops disappear uh so uh there may be no need of any any dragging within these marine conservation areas whatsoever uh once uh, these fish farms come in mm. so you know uh glenn we have to go back to the science uh the science of the matter is that the one does not go hand in hand with the other. Mm. They do not. Uh, we know the science. We have read the science. And the science stands for itself. These are very, uh, very good professionals. They're very well representative within their uh, communities. And we have heard from them. And the science does not stand to support both. Mm. And we've even heard from uh, DFO in Newfoundland and Labrador, DFO, which, uh, you know, they're not environmental radicals, but even DFO says there's a connection between fish farms and the near extinction of the wild Atlantic salmon. Right. So you don't need to go to the radicals. All you need to ask is uh, DFO about the impact of uh, fish farms. And, and Glenn, I've been uh, posting information from uh, their science, uh, from the DFO, and uh they 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 are the go-to experts uh we see the demise in wild salmon stocks uh when it comes to fish farms and sea lice and and apnemia uh you know this is not to be excused um you know it is there it is science and uh, but people have to pick it up and read it and to believe it that it is fact 
and not fiction. Right. Well, I guess the next step is for uh, Parks Canada to be in contact uh, with uh, the stakeholders there. So we'll be following this story very closely. And that's it for the program. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest in Mi'kmaq news and views. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Hillary McGinnis is our researcher. For Greg James, this is Glenn Wheeler saying, Emsonokamaa.